Hello and welcome to Under Further Review. When you're listening to this, it is February 22nd, 2019. We are filming this Thursday evening. We've got a great show for you coming today. Going to talk about a little bit of Champions League roundup, what went on in the wild world of soccer. Going to talk a little bit about the upcoming NFL Combine. We have some NBA stuff for you. We're going to go through some segments and we're going to finish it off with college basketball. Zion Williamson gets hurt. Nike shoes blow out by Big Baller Brand. So much to talk about today. We've got a jam-packed show for you. We just want to remind you that we're presented by the University Pulse Radio. Shout out to the Pulse for having us on. They're fantastic. Make sure to check them out. If you haven't listened to any of our past podcasts, I definitely recommend doing so. We've got a couple of good ones up for you. Make sure to check out our Monday messages. We just had one go up this past Monday about positivity it's about 18 minutes long, perfect length. Listen to it on your on your drive into work or school or wherever you're going. Really excited for this show. We got a lot of good stuff going. But first, let's let's hear that music. Welcome to Under Further Review. We've got a great show for you today. Let's talk a little bit of, little bit of Champions League. Losses, lot has gone on since the last time that we posted a podcast. Lyon and Barcelona played, as well as Liverpool and Bayern Munich. There was a combined zero goals between those four teams. Really nothing too special. The matches really weren't that, too, really weren't that exciting when it's all said and done. Leon and Barcelona was pretty much Barcelona peppering Leon's goal with shots, but none of them going in. Uh, Luis Suarez just kind of disappeared. He's really struggled for Barcelona on the road in Champions League knockout stages. But good news if you're Barcelona, you're going back home. All you need to do is win the game and you're through. If you're Leon, good news is all you need to do is draw and you're sending it to extra time unless. It's a scored draw. If it's 1-1, Leon goes through. Barcelona and Liverpool as well. If you're Bayern, you have to feel pretty good about your situation, I feel. You just got to go home and win, and you're good to go. Uh, now, two games that were a little bit more exciting. Atletico Madrid and Juventus. This was a big one. A lot of people were hyping it up. Everybody, Juventus has been so close for so many years, and now they had Cristiano Ronaldo, who is... Mr. Champions League and he has not showed up for Juventus in the Champions League this year. Failed to do so again. They lose to Atletico Madrid 2-0. Both goals by their two center backs. Both coming off of set pieces. If you're Juventus, you don't pick up an away goal which is huge. It means that you have to win 2-0 or if Atleti is able to get a goal when they go to Torino, all of a sudden you have to win 4-1 to be able to get through Really bad position for Juventus. Granted, it, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. It's Juventus. They can definitely do it. But you have to feel really good right now if you're an Atletico Madrid fan. And finally, we had Man City 3-2 over Schalke. This is really just Man City's world, and we're just living in it. We're lucky to be experiencing it. Man City, to show the world that they're just toying with us, that they're really this talented, they give up two penalties pretty much intentionally go down 2-1. 
get a man sent off, and then score two goals in the final five minutes to make it 3-2 to get the win, go back to Manchester with a with a the 3-2 aggregate already in hand. Man City is granted, Schalke is not great, but Man City is really, really good. I have not been a believer in Premier League teams when it comes to European competition. I've been fairly vocal about that in the past. I don't believe they'll succeed because the Premier League is so much more competitive top to bottom that a lot of these teams really can't afford to put together backup sides in their Premier League weekends, especially because there's six legitimate teams in the Premier League who can challenge for Champions League spots. I see this Champions League run finishing out one of two ways for Man City. The first is that they want to win the Premier League. They continually put out good sides for their Premier League weekends, and they're going to get come up on by, similar as it was last year with Roma, they'll get come up on by like an Atletico Madrid, a Bayern Munich. They'll get one of those teams, and they just won't put together the, the performance they need to because they won't have the players available. The second way I see this going is Pep understands that the goal is the Champions League this year. You just won the Premier League. Let Liverpool get the Premier League win this year. Go in the Champions League. I could see them benching their their starters for their Premier League matches and going to Champions League and going and putting in all their effort, putting all their eggs into one basket for that. If I had to give you a guess right now, I think Barcelona figures it out and I think they end up winning the Champions League. It's been my pick from the start of the year. I really like Barcelona. I my preseason prediction was Barcelona, Bayern Munich. I don't feel as great about Bayern Munich, but I feel really good about Barcelona. Moving on from English football to NFL football. NFL Combine is next weekend. And if you are an NFL football fan, it's back, baby. It was a long three weeks, but we're back. We've got the NFL coming back. It's the Combine. If you're a diehard football nerd like I am, you love it. You're excited for every second of it. If you're a casual fan, you might tune in and just see who runs really fast in the 40. But that's always fun, too. Tyler, I wanted to talk a little bit about your expectations and kind of what you see in the Combine. First and foremost, let's talk about our Boise boys. We have two guys that are going to be at the Combine, Alexander Madison, close friend of the show, as well as Brett Rippon from the same hometown as yours truly. So I'm very connected with both these guys. I have deep insights into what they're going to do and how they're going to perform. What do you think? What do you want to see from these guys? What are your projections for you kind of going into the draft of what you want to see from them? Um... I project Brett to do really well. Uh, I think he's kind of fit for that combine atmosphere. I think uh, the coaches will find out that they really like his technique, uh, that he he throws the routes that he's comfortable with really well. So I think on paper, Brett's going to do pretty good. And he's going to kill the interviews. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kill the interviews. I just don't know how much he can... Uh, extend how much he can uh, up his his draft stock. Right, he's not um, going to run a four four four. Yeah. And so, for Brett, what do you kind of project him as as an NFL player? Because I think you and I have similar projections for him. What do you see him in ten years? I ask you, what has Brett Rippin done or is currently doing in the NFL? What do you expect? What would you be willing to put money on? Ten years? Ten years from now? If he makes it? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's a, it could just be he's retired. I mean, he's he's a career backup for sure. I think that's his ceiling. Um, you think that's the ceiling? 
I think I I just don't see him. I don't think he I don't think he ever earns one of the thirty two spots outside of a couple games a season, maybe. Um I, I think it all comes down to can he learn to not force the ball and can he learn to be consistently comfortable in the pocket game in and game out? Uh because I think that's where he struggled throughout his Boise State career was pocket starts to break down. He gets hit a couple times. Now he's, he's not so he's confident. Panicked. He's panicked. Yeah. He's, you know, we see him throwing those deep balls that are 20 yards over the head. And then we also see him throw his favorite out route pick sixes once he starts to feel uncomfortable there in the pocket. So, um, the the issue I have is, for me, I feel like I didn't see much improvement in those areas over the three years I got to watch him. So does that mean he's just not coachable in those areas? Or is once he gets up to that NFL level, are those NFL coaches going to be able to coach him through that to the point where he feels comfortable? Then I think maybe he's got a little bit higher of a ceiling. Uh, but other than that, I mean, he's going to go – he's going to be a late-round pick – and he's probably going to be a good guy in the locker room, I would suspect, and maybe kind of try to take on a little bit of a leadership role. Um, but career backup is where I would mark Brett Rippon. That's fair. I think if I had to, to kind of peg a, a comp on him, I could see him on the high end being a Nick Foles. I think that's his ceiling is a guy that, which granted, that means a lot more now than it did two years ago. But when I say that, He's a guy who's really a career backup. That's his fit. But if you find the perfect situation for him, I think he could be a guy who can start for you and take you to the playoffs. Granted, Nick Foles won a Super Bowl, but that team was so talented. I, I look. I'm not going to rule out the fact that Brett Rippon could win, can't win a Super Bowl. But I, I think that's kind of his his ceiling is mostly kind of a backup fringe starter level player. Obviously, his floor is that he just busts and doesn't make it in the league. But I could very well see, like, a Mike Glennon situation for him. Obviously, play style and stuff isn't the same. Brett Riffin isn't 6'7 and has a giraffe neck like Mike Glennon. But just in terms of their career outlook, you know, he's a guy who comes in and gets a little bit of talk early on in his career. Maybe he gets drafted by a team like the Dolphins. And it's like, oh, well, Ryan Tannehill's not doing well. Maybe bring in this Brett Riffin guy. But by the time he hits year five, year six, it's he's just a pretty established backup quarterback in the NFL. And I think that's a really good fit for him. He's a smart guy. Great from everything I've heard, great in the locker room. Nobody dislikes Brett. Uh, but the guy who I think has a little bit more boom potential is a guy that you and I know pretty well, Alexander Madison. Oh, yeah. Um, we have a lot of, lot of good experiences with Alex from freshman year in the dorms. Alex is a, a really interesting case for me. There's a lot of a lot of different outlooks on him. Um, one of his biggest criticisms is, can you play him on third down? There's been criticisms of his, of his pass blocking as well as his pass catching. I think those are both things that can be improved on. I love the way Alex runs. He runs tough. He runs hard. And he shows enough quickness and agility that I think you can really build on. The big question for Alex is, because I've seen reports that have him as a second-round talent. I've seen some that don't even have him on their big boards at all. This combine is going to be really big for Alex. Oh, I yeah. Th I think, oh, yeah. I think we know what Brett is. Brett's going to be somewhere between a third and fifth round pick. I'd say probably somewhere in that range. 
he's going to go somewhere in that range. I think teams know what they're going to get with him. Alex is a little bit more of an unknown. He needs to have a big combine. My concern is where is he going to stack up compared to these other power five running backs that come out? Because the reason that those guys are power five is because they measure out so well. I think Alex is a better runner than a lot of guys who will probably perform better than him at the combine. He just has an instinct for running the football. And he's a he's that he's a gamer, right? You know, when he puts the pads on, he balls out, oh, but yeah. I don't I don't know if I see Alex running a 4-5-40. I don't s- know if I see him putting up 25 reps on the bench. Those are the areas that I could see him having a poor combine and things go down. That being said, Alex is a really, really, really smart kid. He is a lot smarter than some of the other guys that we've kind of seen come out from Boise State in recent years. I think that he is going to find success in the NFL. Oh, yeah. I think no matter where he goes, uh, no matter how he performs in the combine, I think he is going to outperform where he gets picked. Uh, I think he's got that kind of chip-on-your-shoulder mentality it seems like he's a hard worker. I think he will find a way to get himself involved enough to get people to notice him, and that will lead him somewhere. Who knows quite where? But I, I think he will. I think he will outperform where he gets drafted. Uh, he might not be a star in the NFL, but I think he's definitely got potential. Yeah, and I, I agree going to a good system with good coaching would be really great for him. And what I really love about Alex, I've talked to him a couple of times since he's declared and he really does have his head in the right place. He's doing the right things. He, he knows that the NFL is a short lived opportunity. It's why he decided to declare was because he realized, look, if I come back and I get another 400 carries on my body, I might not be able to hold it up. Like my body is only so strong. He understood that. He talks about how the NFL isn't going to be a forever thing, how he wants to be smart with his money, how he wants to stay dedicated. He's constantly liking and sharing Gary V videos, which I love. I talked to him and he said that he FaceTimed with Gary and talked with him personally, which is pretty cool. Uh, but then what I, what I love about Alex is that from the moment that we met him and talked with him, he's not like a lot of, the other college kids who comes out because his head really is in the right place and he does the right things. He was never a guy who was drinking. He was never a guy who was partying. He didn't, you know, never smoked pot, never ran into any of those issues. It was all, it was always really about football and school with Alex. I felt like, and granted he's like any college kid. He has funds. He, he'd come hang out and play video games with us, but he was doing the right things and he was having fun the right way, which for me is a huge thing because I think 80% of the NFL game is mental. Oh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that he's intelligent enough and he does the right things enough that it's going to work out for him. Moving away from kind of our, our, our two Boise guys, Kyler Murray has been the talk ever since he declared that he's going to be at the Combine. What's he going to be? What's the expectations? Tyler, would you draft a 5'8 quarterback in the first round? I wouldn't be scared to. I wouldn't be scared to draft a 5'8 quarterback in the first round if you really like him. Um, it's hard. It's hard. We, we predict, we 
try to predict so often where everybody's going to go and how everybody's going to comp in the NFL. And it's just a, it's a really hard business to get into. I just don't know. I don't know. I didn't watch a whole lot of uh, uh, Kyler Murray over the course of the season. So I guess I don't have a super solid opinion on where he's going to go um, or what his talent level will be. But I don't think his height should be an end-all, be-all factor uh, in your decision. I really don't. Yeah, I think that's fair. I've seen things all over the board. I've seen people say that he should go number one overall to the Arizona Cardinals. By the way, put up or shut up time for Cliff Kingsbury. He said last season when he played Kyler Murray at Oklahoma when he was the head coach at Texas Tech, he said that if he was the coach of an NFL team and he had the number one overall pick, he would take Kyler Murray because that kid is special. Cliff Kingsbury, you're the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. You have the number one pick. Are you going to take Kyler Murray the year after you traded up and got a quarterback in the first round in Josh Rosen? We'll see. We'll see if he's a man of his word. I would pretty much say that the probability of that happening is almost zero. Yeah. There's no way. There is no way that the Cardinals take another top uh, prospect quarterback with their first pick. There's just no way. Yeah, because the, the owner is going to be sitting there. Plus, I'm pretty sure the general manager who drafted Josh Rosen is still in-house. And so even if Cliff Kingsbury is sitting there in his ear, we got to take Kyler, we got to take Kyler, this GM is going to say, listen here, Cliff, I took a quarterback at number 10 last year. I am not taking another quarterback in the first round. This is especially with the number one overall pick. If I do that, my job is done. I am out. The only way I see the Cardinals getting him would be if they trade back and nobody ends up picking him up and he falls a little bit. Then maybe late first round, kind of early second round, maybe they would jump on it um, if they could get some stock from trading back, but there's no way. Zero percent. And it's it's not going to happen. We always talk about the trade-down options at number one. The reality is teams want too much for the number one overall pick, so trades never happen with it. I I think the only way that the Cardinals end up with Kyler Murray is if they take him at, with that first pick in the second round. If Kyler falls to the second round. Because some people have said, if you look at history, let me name you all of the quarterbacks who were under six foot who got drafted in the first round. This is in the past 30 years. Johnny Manziel. End of list. It's the only one, and he was officially listed as 5'11", and I believe it was three quarters. Jeez. So he was pretty much six foot. Guys shorter than six feet don't go in the first round. And I heard, I heard a comparison to Kyler Murray today. He's, a, he's essentially Doug Flutie. I don't know if I buy into that. But Doug Flutie was an incredible talent. Everybody loved him. Teams were scared to draft him, and then he ended up having a nothing of an NFL career. I don't think the fact that he's 5'8 matters for his ability to play quarterback. I think his play style doesn't translate. He hasn't shown ability to throw from the pocket. And the big thing we got to see is how big's his hand, right? Because that's always, thing, that's yeah. always the concern yep. with short quarterbacks. It's not that they're short. It's that they have small hands. Russell Wilson's short. Russell Wilson has one of the biggest hand sizes in the league. Same thing with Drew Brees. There's actually a correlation between guys with bigger hands tend to be more accurate. 
And so shorter quarterbacks obviously usually have smaller hands, and that usually leads to lower accuracy in the NFL. That's usually why there's big concern with short quarterbacks. Which I, I that's a fair that's a fair criticism. All that being said, I haven't the I haven't dived into the tape enough um, for a lot of the guys to really say who my favorite is and who I would take. The big team that everyone's talking about is the Giants. I believe they're sitting there with the sixth pick. That's kind of the first team that really needs to get a quarterback. And so a lot of people are projecting Dwayne Haskins there. Some people are saying that's where Kyler Murray goes. I haven't watched enough Dwayne Haskins to say anything about him. I No opinion on him there. I've watched quite a bit of Kyler Murray. I don't see Kyler Murray's game translating. When Patrick Mahomes came out, I loved Patrick Mahomes' game. I knew he would translate, even though he was a guy in college who was like, man, he can really scramble. Kyler Murray... I don't see it translating. That being said, if I have a pick in the early second round and he's sitting there, if I'm the Cardinals, why not go take him? Because, and this was the same argument I made for Lamar Jackson. Look, if he turns out is able to develop into a really nice quarterback, the accuracy is not an issue for with Lamar Jackson. The accuracy was an issue for Kyler. It isn't. If those things work out, yeah, play him a quarterback and you got to steal at the top of the second round worst case scenario you have a super dynamic athlete who you can essentially do whatever you need to do with him right that's kind of my take on kyler murray i wanted to talk real quickly just about some some team needs uh as a minnesota vikings fan what are you kind of looking for what do you hope the vikings do in the draft here i mean i i think the offensive line is our biggest issue currently uh i don't know whether to turn to free agency or the draft to try to fill those needs. Both, I think I would be okay with both. Um, the issue being we are probably going to lose some key defensive names at least. Namely Anthony Barr, yeah. more than likely. Um, so that's obviously going to need to be filled. I don't know how good of depth we have at that position. So I would say... Maybe look for a young linebacker, and we've tried the free agency offensive line thing before, like it's, last it's year. It's tough. It's really it's tough. It's really tough. So I'm not opposed to picking a, a tackle or, or a guard there with our with our first round pick. Um, the other thing too with offensive linemen that I feel is important is that chemistry amongst the guys. If you bring a young guy in. He's going to have a couple years. He's going to be with the guys, and he gets to learn the system, which I think is maybe more valuable than bringing in a free agent and asking him to, to start, even though he's got the experience. Um, I think let's grab a guy and let's raise him into into our own, and hopefully we can get those holes fixed on the front line because otherwise it's going to be another disappointing year. Yeah, and... We talked about it last week. I think Kirk Cousins gets a lot of flack. I think people hate on Kirk Cousins a lot because he can't win big games and he has this massive contract. That offensive line is really bad. That's one of the three, probably one of the three worst offensive lines in the NFL. They have to fix that. The running game was non-existent at times last year. Granted, they had games where Dalvin Cook was oh, yeah. fantastic. Oh, yeah. But then there was games where Dalvin Cook would get four carries and the one that immediately pops into my head was that Buffalo Bills game where if you look at Kirk Cousins' stat line, it's like, wow, Kirk 
Kirk, what were you doing? But if you watch the game, it was, oh, tipped pass. Oh, he got sacked. Oh, you know, this, this, this happened. Doesn't he lead he, – he does lead the NFL in tip passes, though, right? I'm Kirk, pretty sure. Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins I'm pretty sure that's a stat that, that I saw, That is yeah. maybe one of the most frustrating things ever is it's guaranteed twice a game that there's going to be a tip pass or, uh, you know, batted down ball, and it's just – How, that's, how that's tall is Kirk Cousins? That's a good question. Because here's, here's the thing. I'm pretty sure, and we'll have our, our stats department check on this real quick, but I'm pretty sure Kirk Cousins is 6'3 or 6'4, which just goes to show height doesn't matter. Your offensive line and the defensive line is all 6'5, six, 6'6 six, six anyways. The important thing is your field vision, and they teach this to Boise State's quarterbacks. They teach them no batted balls. If you're going to make a throw, step up and find the passing lane. There should never be a situation where you have a batted ball because at the end of the day, height isn't what matters with it. He is 6'3", by the way. 6'3". I think another issue is we lack like a, like a solid identity on what we want to do on offense. We, we find something that we think works as far as like a play or two, and we try to replicate that an abnormally large amount of times over the course of a few weeks. And I think what happens then is we we end up playing in these spurts. So we find something successful. We play that way for two or three weeks, and then they figure it out, and we're terrible. Like, it's – I mean, we hit the bottom. It's – and I think maybe the part of, part of that is we don't have a diverse portfolio. We're not – we're trying to be really good at one thing instead of trying to share the, the success. Being able to do a lot of things. Yeah. Well, right. And that's what the Rams do so well is they can power run you with CJ Anderson or Todd Gurley, but then they'll hit you with play action. They can spread the field. They can run screen passes and deep routes. They can do everything. It, they can attack you on all three levels. It's like going into the game with either a really good offensive game plan or going into the game with, a couple cheese plays that you know are going to work, right? And if you if you go in with the cheese plays and they don't work, then your entire game is going to be just awful. And I, I just feel like that's where the Vikings are at right now. And Which they that's need to why they fired their OC, right? This is true, yeah. So, And you said at the beginning of the year, you said that you didn't think this would be this past season would be the year that the Vikings made a Super Bowl. No, I thought they would definitely regress. Granted, I thought they were still going to make the playoffs. So them not making the playoffs is a, a big disappointment. Which they were a game out. That's a bounce of the ball away. It wasn't yeah. like they were 6 and 10. They yeah. were 8 7 and 1, I think. Yeah. So they were the, right, they were right there. The concerning part to me is we had a series of four or five games there that were really big games against big teams and we were only able to come away with one win. I don't mind as much that we lost to the Bills. I know that's like, you got to beat the Bills. That doesn't bother me giving up a game like that early in the season. But if you are going to be a team that wants to be competitive and make a playoff run, even if it's an off year for you, you should at least be able to snag half of those really big game wins. And they just didn't happen. So that's concerning. But you're right. I said they were going to regress. Uh, 
I might have to readjust because now we have a new OC again. So maybe this year isn't going to quite be super Granted, great. But he did get two games. I think it was two games. Three. Three, three games. games with this OC. Three games with the OC plus the entire offseason. I would say this year they have a, a good shot at making a playoff run. It's going to be interesting to see if they take um, – that's been the talk too is – these the Eagles, the Rams going out, spending big, getting these big name players, uh, and really selling out to go win. Right. It'll be interesting to see what the Viking strategy is to add pieces to make a run and which pieces they think are are the most important. Or if they feel like, you know what, we we have the roster, we have the guys we just had an off year and we just need to focus more on game planning on getting this team motivated instead of, Oh, we need to go out and get more pieces and, and bloat the roster. What was the Vikings record against the bears? Were they one and one or did they go own two? They lost both. They lost both. Yeah. I think, a, I think a big reason for the Vikings pretty much did what you expected. I think a big reason they regressed so much more than you expected, though, was because the Bears had this amazing season no one really expected. Nobody expected that. I no. mean, how f- was it? How long before the season started did Cleo Mack end up on the Bears? I mean, it was a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. I mean, you don't have. It was have during the preseason. Like, to, to, to go from last place to first place like they did. That doesn't happen, and especially the way that they did it with being the most dominant defense in the NFL, that came out of nowhere. And my personal opinion, to give you some insight into next season, I don't think that the Bears are going to maintain that success. I don't think they'll go 11-5 and five next year. No. I think they got the benefits of an easy schedule, and I think they got the benefits of just – everything clicked for them. It reminds me of the Jaguars of two seasons ago. Everything clicked for you. Everything worked. But at the the end of the day, I don't trust Mitch Trubisky as your quarterback. I watched him play more than a few occasions last year and never came away super impressed with him. Granted, I don't think he's Blake Bortles bad, but I just don't think that he's the guy that's going to consistently carry you to 10-11 win seasons. And I don't think that people put enough emphasis on schedules. I think schedules are really important. I right. think if you're a first if you have a first place schedule, I think that's a significant challenge over somebody who's in a fourth place schedule. And I mean to, to provide some context, the way NFL scheduling works is you play six games against the three other teams in your divisions. You play the entirety of a division from another conference. So let's say you're the Seahawks, you might play everybody in the AFC West. You'll play the entirety of another division in the NFC. So let's say you're the Seahawks. You might play the entire NFC East. And then as well, you'll play the other two divisional teams in your conference that finished at your same spot. So, for example, the Patriots finished first in the AFC East for the one millionth time in a row, I believe. (laughs) A million and one, maybe. So they're guaranteed to play the AFC North champs, which were the Baltimore Ravens, right? Yes. Yeah, the Baltimore Ravens. They're guaranteed to play the AFC South champs, which were the Houston Texans, and the AFC West champs, which were the Kansas City Chiefs. So that's guaranteed. It's locked in stone. Similarly, though, if you finish dead last in the NFC West, like the Arizona Cardinals did, you're going to play the Detroit Lions, who were last in the NFC North. You're going to play, I believe it was the New York Giants, who were last in the NFC East. And then last in the NFC South was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So finishing last place automatically gives you 
two teams or three teams that are going to be significantly easier than a team that's in first place. So for the Bears, that meant instead of be you know being forced to play the Seahawks Ooh. like the yep it was the Seahawks no but that no, was part of the divisional the matchups. Anyways, so th- that that matters now. All of instead a sudden of playing the, the Saints, yeah, instead of playing the Saints, the Bucks or they, whatever. Right. So that's huge now because the Bears this year they have to play the Rams. They have to play the Eagles. No, not the Eagles. The Cowboys. Yeah, maybe that's better than playing the Eagles. <laughs> and then they have to play the the Saints in the NFC South. So mo- moving on, though, for, for my team, for the Seahawks, I think the biggest need is they have to get pass rush, specifically edge rusher. Frank Clark was fantastic again this year. He had du- double-digit di- sacks. Jaron Reed had 10.5 sacks from the defensive tackle spot. Nobody's talking about this. Jaron Reed just put up one of the best seasons I've ever seen from a 300-pound interior defensive lineman, but no one talks about it because Aaron Donald's in the league and gets 20 sacks from the defensive tackle spot. Jaron Reed is fantastic, should have been a pro bowler. You can make the argument that he could have been like an all-pro honorable mention. But the next leading sack guy for the Seahawks was Quinn and Jefferson, who had three. That's not okay. Not okay at all. That's not good. They need to get edge rush uh I'm assuming the game plan it, the game plan is to to franchise tag Frank Clark. Need to get Frank Clark back in house, whether that's by the tag or re-signing him, doesn't really matter to me. Need to go out and get another edge rusher. I could see them doing that in free agency. Then again, the Seahawks do have a history of drafting defensive linemen, so I'm not opposed to it either way, either which way they address it. They need to figure out what they're going to do with KJ Wright and what the future at that position is. Me personally, I would love for them to bring KJ back. I think KJ is one of the most underrated linebackers in all of football. I know he's getting up there in age, but I think he's the perfect guy to bring back on, say, like a three-year, $35, $40 million deal and have him be kind of that transitional piece. The Seahawks have a lot of cap space going into this offseason. I want to say they have $70 million in cap space. Part of that's going to be dedicated to Frank Clark, potentially KJ Wright. Earl Thomas is going to be out the door, but we haven't played the last two seasons with him. So I'm not really worried there. I would love to bring in a new safety, but Bradley McDougal was fantastic at the strong safety spot. And that free safety spot, kind of a question mark. Personally, I would love them to bring in a good friend of mine, Taylor Rapp, who played at University of Washington. He'll be right there in that 20s range. And then on the offensive side of the ball, I've been saying this since Sidney Rice left the Seahawks, but they <laughs> need to get a big receiver. They tried to do it with Brandon Marshall. Go out. Find your guy who's 6'4", and Russell Wilson can just throw balls to. Because they really rely on Tyler Lockett, who's short. Granted, amazing, really good receiver, had a breakout season. And Doug Baldwin, who's had injury issues getting up there in age. The offense, For the first time, though, as a Seahawks fan, I'm not saying the offensive line is our biggest issue. The offensive line was pretty decent for good stretches of last year. They figured out what they need to do. Bring in 350-pound guys like J.R. Sweezy and D.J. Fluker, who nobody wants because they aren't good, but they can just maul people. The Seahawks have figured out the system that they want to run, and they're getting the talent to do it. The defense is the concern for me. The Seahawks were as good as they were last year because Russell Wilson is amazing, and they were able to control the clock and control games. This team is a few pieces away from being Super Bowl contenders again because the style of football that they play you really just need to be close and you need to have quarterback play that can get you wins in the fourth quarter i really believe that they're a pass rusher 
depending on what happens with KJ Wright bringing him back and then just acquiring depth at the other spots away from potentially elevating the, themselves to that level again. Do you think they're going to suffer from starting off slow again like they've done for how many years? It's it's Seahawks nature. Granted, looking back, hindsight being twenty twenty, I think we realize starting slow wasn't that bad. Denver in home openers is in I believe it's 15 and one in the last 16 years like Denver does not lose opening weekend when they're at home because teams just aren't used to the altitude they aren't in playing condition and so playing in that altitude hurts them even worse so losing at Denver never a bad loss but then losing on Monday Night Football in Chicago against the Bears at the time I was a little concerned as a Seahawks fan and then you look at the end of the season and that's one of the best teams in the NFL with a really generally generationally good defense so yes they'll probably suffer from it again because it's the seahawks and that's what they do it'll be interesting to see when the schedule comes out who they play i think that'll have a big part in how big of an impact it is though this year it didn't mean much because it was an afc team in the broncos that didn't affect their playoff standings and it was a good team in the bears that granted if you get that win you're high you know it changes some things yeah. for you but I think the big thing is they need to the Seahawks just need to get they need to shore up that pass rush, bring Frank Clark back, understand what your long term position at the safety spot's gonna look like. But it's a it's a fun off season for the for the Seahawks. I've seen uh we won't name names, but one particular talk show host has said that he has sources that says that Russell Wilson wants out and that he wants to go to the New York Giants. Let me address that by saying no, 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 not going to happen. The Seahawks will not trade Russell Wilson. I know he's a free agent. If he doesn't sign a long-term contract, they will franchise tag him for the next six years. You have a first ballot Hall of Famer. You don't let him walk away. You don't give him away. End of story. It's not going to happen. The only way it happens is if Seattle says, all right, Giants, what are you going to give us? And they say, we'll give you seven first-round picks. Like, that's the number. This is a Hall of Fame quarterback. You don't trade him. You don't let him walk. End of story. Moving on, though. Uh, let's get into some NBA. NBA's back tonight. Uh, I've got the, the Heat-Sixers game going on right now as we're uh, recording this podcast. Tobias Harris just hit a big three to put the Sixers up 94-90. But talk a little bit about All-Star Weekend. Uh we start off with the uh, the Rising Stars Challenge. It's fun. It's it's honestly, for me, almost a little more fun than the, the All-Star game just because you get to see the young guys going out and having fun and playing with each other, something you're not really used to. Uh, Kyle Kuzma was fantastic, but it, there was no defense. It is what it is. There was some, some big dunks. We had a, a stretch of, like, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Donovan Mitchell and... I can't remember who it was for the world team, but they were having a dunk contest at the end going back and forth with each other, and that was kind of fun. But we get into the fun stuff, the three-point contest. I can't remember if I said it on podcast, but everyone I told who could legally gamble, I told them bet Joe Harris. His odds are plus 700. He is the best shooter in this competition. Standing still, nobody on him. He is the best shooter in the competition, and he's 1A, 1B with david bertans who wasn't in the competitions everyone i told i said bet joe harris guess who ends up winning joe harris so uh for all your gambling advice come to me i can't gamble myself but i'll gladly help you with it dunk contest 
Did you, did you watch the dunk contest this year, Tyler? The only thing I saw of All-Star Weekend was the All-Star Game itself. Interesting. So the dunk contest was less than ideal. Dennis Smith Jr. had some really would have been cool dunks if he hadn't missed them nine times before he made them. <laughs> some of the other guys, John Collins was brought out like Tuskegee Airmen and then tried to jump over a paper mache like model airplane, but then broke it. <laughs> he hit it. That was weird. We had one really good dunk, the entire dunk contest. And that was Hamadou, Hamadou Diallo's dunk over Shaquille O'Neal with the honey dip. Dunking over Shaquille O'Neal would have been cool enough. Doing the honey dip is an all-time great dunk that Vince Carter did. Paying homage with that. But then also pulling out the Superman shirt, jersey, an ode to Shaquille O'Neal or Dwight Howard, depending on who you ask. That was the one good dunk. That was a 50 dunk. The dunk contest hands out 50s. That was an actual 50 dunk. That was the highlight of the dunk contest. That's the only dunk worth watching. And my favorite part, go on Twitter and look. There's a gif of it's just a zoomed in version of Shaq's face. And you just see Diallo's legs go by while he stands still. It's mesmerizing. Then there's also a full video of him freaking out when Diallo comes back and stuff. But uh, dunk contest, I... I'm not a fan of the take that the dunk contest sucks. The gun dunk contest is bad. We are three years removed from maybe the greatest dunk contest ever when Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon went at, went at it. If you haven't seen that dunk contest, go on YouTube, watch it right now. It's 12 minutes long. Aaron Gordon versus Zach Levine for the final. It's incredible. They are big-time dunks after big-time dunks, which – Aaron Gordon should have won his dunk over the mascot, his beneath the leg dunk over the mascot is one of the coolest dunks done in all-star history. It's a shame that he didn't win. And it's why they need to stop just handing out fifties to everybody. They, I believe Kenny Smith says it during the, the broadcast. He says, Zach Levine's dunk was a 50, but Aaron Gordon's dunk was a better 50. No, that's not how that works. You can't have, two 50s with varying levels of 50 if the other one was a worse 50 then give it a 49 that's why we have a ranking system in the first place it's like it's like in uh ice skating in ice skating there's no such thing as a perfect 10 because what happens if the next person comes out and does something better you can't give them a higher score it should be the same thing with dunk contests stop giving everyone 50s thank you for coming to my ted talk and then lastly uh the all-star game team Giannis took a big lead Team LeBron made a comeback. Damian Lillard hit a bunch of shots. Giannis had a really cool dunk. It, it was what it, it was. The All Star Game. It's fun. It's good to throw on and then work on homework. Which uh, it it's is not it meant is. for the fans. It's in my opinion. It's let these you know the best players. You want to. It's a way to. You only have one MVP. So, how do you encompass all of the best talent in the league? You do, you know, you do an all-star weekend. Right. It's just like the NFL, the Pro Bowl, everything. You got to have that, that level, that all-pro right. level. And I think it's, it's a time for these players to get together and have some fun. And I mean, if I'm in town and the all-star games going on, like I'd love to go to that. I'd love to go to it in person. It's just not something that I 
go out of my way to watch on TV any of the events, really. I just... Which, if if you ask me, when it's good, the best event is the dunk contest. Like, if we could get Vince Carter's 2001 dunk contest every year, that would be the coolest event every single year. Problem was, a lot of the big-name guys have kind of stepped aside and no longer want to do the dunk contest, which I get. I do understand it. There's not a history of a lot of stars doing it. People will say Kobe. Kobe was in his second season. People will say Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was still young when he was doing dunk contests. Even Dwight Howard was still fairly early in his career when he was doing dunk contests. But I'd like to see some bigger names. You know, when they brought it back for for when Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady did it, they were both young, but they were both up-and-coming stars, right? I would have loved to have seen... Uh, De'Aaron Fox would be a guy who I'd love to see in it. I don't even know how much he can dunk. I just know he's a freak athlete. I'd love to see, like, a Jason Tatum in here. Donovan Mitchell was in it last year. I would have loved to have him back. And now there's rumors swirling on Twitter. Uh, Giannis, after his big dunk he had in the All-Star game, tweeted out that maybe he should go to the dunk contest. Donovan Mitchell tweeted back at him and said, if you're in, I'm in. So there's rumors now that we could get a dunk contest not next year with Zach Levine, which after the ACL tear, I don't know how much we really want him in it. I'd rather have Aaron Gordon. But take one of Levine or Gordon, Donovan Mitchell, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and then everyone's throwing out the name Zion Williamson in there, which I want to talk about Zion. Let's just talk about Zion now. All right. If you didn't watch last night, UNC Duke, which, by the way, one of the I, – I saw that – Tickets for that game were the second most expensive tickets for a game that we've had in the past sports season right behind the Super Bowl. Like, tickets were more expensive for that than the Rams-NFC championship game. Insane. Average ticket price was, I think I saw $3,000. Ridiculous. Stupid expensive. And, and a problem. And everyone came to see, to see Zion, right? I mean, you have R.J. Barrett, you have Cam Reddish, you have Nasir Little. They came to see Zion, and 45 seconds into the game, Zion gets hurt. If you didn't watch it, it's all over Twitter. It's all over social media. Takes a step, makes a move, and his shoe literally blows out on him. Like, his foot breaks through the shoe. It looked like he was the Incredible Hulk, which is fitting considering all the stuff he's done on the court this year. His knee bends at a really weird angle. Everybody's losing their mind. Because it looks like he might have a torn ACL. He might be done for the year. Good news is, report came out from Shams today. It's a grade one sprain. He'll be day-to-day. So, he I mean, he could be back by the end of next week. So, good news is, for the long-term health of Zion, he's fine. There's two things I want to talk about about this. Because this has brought up some really important topics that deserve discussion. I guess, actually, it's kind of three. The first is, should Zion sit out the, the rest of the season? Yes. I 100% agree. If you're Zion, you've shown enough to say, I am clearly deserving of the number one pick, depending on who you ask. But for the most part, he's kind of the consensus number one pick. This is the guy that you need to go take. Look at all this freak athleticism he has. Granted, if I'm him, I probably play like one or two more games just to show that the knee's fine. Yeah, that'd be good. Because that's one of those things that when we get to the draft, teams will start to say, oh, but the knee, we don't know if the knee's doing well. Maybe it didn't heal all the way, and that's why he sat out. Play a couple of games, say, look, I'm fine. The athleticism's still there. Sit out. Don't risk getting hurt. No, and I don't think, from the other side, I don't, I don't think you 
owe Duke anything. No. So And that kind of gets into the second thing I wanted to talk about because there there are three things. And we'll save we'll save the the most talkative one for last and it's the one that I know that you're fairly passionate about. The second thing is that the NBA is currently in discussions right now about getting rid of the one and done rule. As we speak, Adam Silver has been communicating with the NFL Players Association about getting rid of it because they understand, okay, Zion probably could have just came in day one and been an NBA player. Granted, it would have been him, probably Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett. Those three guys would have probably declared straight out. But Zion's at Duke for seven months. I mean, he gets there in September and he's gone by April. He's there for seven months, and then he's off to his NBA career. Zion doesn't owe Duke anything. It is a pit stop for him. That's all it is, and that's all it's really going to ever be as long as we have the one-and-done rule. So what are your thoughts? Do you think players should be allowed to come straight out of high school, or do you think that they should be take that year in college and, and see where they are kind of thing? No, I I think they should come straight out. I think there should be nothing wrong with coming straight out. I know you have the issue with not having that buffer, and you have such a young kid who's getting so much attention uh, at the high school level and everything, but you don't have to go to college in any other circumstance. You shouldn't have to go to college if you want to play in the NBA. Yeah. And as it stands, it's your pretty much your only option. Um, so I think they need to get rid of it. I really do. I think they need to get rid of it. They need to give the individual that choice because uh, I, I just don't think there's enough choice um, from the athletes themselves. Enough, maybe choice isn't the right word, but there's... They're kind of pigeonholed. And there's some guys who have broken the mold, but it's pretty much, okay, I'm going to go to Duke, Kentucky, UNC, Kansas, play a year, risk getting hurt, make, which we'll get into the money part of it in a little bit, but that's kind of the mold. And so for those who don't know, the reason that they added the one and done rule is because general managers were uncomfortable with scouting high school games. They essentially wanted to – it's the reason that they have a combine. They want to centralize everything so that it's easy access for them. And one unnamed general manager, if you read the, the Woj report about it, said that the reason they're opposed to it is they're already spending millions of dollars scouting these college kids. For them now all of a sudden to, instead of go to Lawrence, Kansas, to catch a Kansas Jayhawks game, they have to go to some tiny, no-name, ho-dunk school in South Carolina to go watch this Zion Williamson guy who they know absolutely nothing about. And, look, there are one of my one of my things I do hate about this talk is when people act like there's no other options. Emmanu Emmanuel Moutier decided to go play professional ball in China for a year and then was a top-ten pick. Uh, we saw Mitchell Robinson last year. He committed to Western Kentucky, but then never ended up playing for Western Kentucky. Just took time off and trained for the NBA. I can't remember his name, but there's a player in the current NBA. He's about to get drafted that instead of playing college basketball, he took an internship with, I want to say, Adidas. It paid a million dollars, and he's essentially just been training with Adidas for the past year and interning for them, working through marketing and branding stuff so that one, he's better prepared for when he gets out of college or out of the NBA 
to be successful as a businessman, but as well, he's maximizing his revenue while he's in his playing days. Now, that ultimately leads us to the point of a lot of people have said, should college athletes get paid? This game, average tickets were 2500 bucks. Tickets were going for as much as $10,000. Ridiculous numbers, and the argument is, well, they're all there to see Zion, but Zion doesn't see a cent of that. Give me your thoughts real quick. I'm actually, I've actually switched opinions on this. I used to be a hardcore no college athletes should not be paid because of the benefits that they already receive being a college athlete on scholarship. Your education is completely paid for. If you're okay with wearing only the school's athletic gear, you don't have to buy clothes, really. Uh food you get if you want it pretty much three meals a day mm-hmm. you know two at least so the that that benefit is it's real it's real I at mean, a school like duke where tuition's fifty thousand dollars you're easily over if you stayed four years you're getting four hundred thousand dollars worth of benefits easily if not more yeah it's a huge just a it, it's it's a lot they they receive a lot they get treated really well I once did the math on, uh, like their hourly, like what what the time commitment is that they have to put in, and then roughly kind of what that breaks down to on an hourly wage. And I came, it was in like the the mid twenty bucks an hour range. It was like twenty two, twenty three bucks an hour uh, that they're receiving for their athletic service, basically. Um, but the reason I switched is. Exactly what we're. I mean, this is a perfect example with ticket sales being twenty five hundred bucks. Is they don't see any of that, and and which no, let's not say they don't see any of it because they do. That money, that money goes into the scholarship, paying for the tuition, paying for the food and stuff. So they do see it. It's not like the money from those tickets just goes straight into the pocket of some businessman who sits in a chair and laughs. But Zion Williamson has the same benefits as the 12th guy on the bench. Right. And that's that's an issue because if the 12th guy – I'm not against taking away the scholarship from the 12th guy on the bench, but there needs to be some sort of scale. There needs to be some sort of – compensation for the money that Zion is bringing to Duke because without Zion those tickets aren't 2500 bucks. And so I I think my solution is when you come in as a college athlete, maybe on a on a yearly basis, you're given the option. Either you take the scholarship and all the perks that the scholarship has to offer or you get a cut of your jersey sales, uh, you know, a really small percentage of, of ticket sales maybe. Um, but so no scholarship. But no scholarship. No, it's a choice. It's, it's one or the other. You don't get both. That way, for someone like Zion who has he's his ma- own he's brand. He's literally making – yeah, he has his own brand. I mean, he has the potential to be making millions He should right be able now. to make the millions off his brand. I, I, it, it all comes down to these athletes aren't able to – be individuals they're not able to sell their individual brand while they're at college which 
to me is that's just the part to me that I really asinine. have an issue with. It's yeah. so stupid. Which you see, I think it was UCF's kicker started a YouTube channel, was getting subscribers and making money. The the NCAA told him you can't do this. You're using your abilities as an athlete to make money on YouTube. You have to demonetize all your videos right now, otherwise you're suspended. I and it's it's bullying is what it is. So that part of the under argument I understand. I do just to play devil's advocate a little bit. A lot of people, there's kind of this trend on Twitter that a scholarship isn't worth anything. Recently, our roommate got put on scholarship. A scholarship means something. Oh, yeah. It means a lot oh, yeah. to these guys. Because the reality is Benton Wickersham isn't worth six figures to the program. I love Benton. If Benton had that choice and he turned down the scholarship, he wouldn't be making ends meet. He couldn't afford to pay the school. And the reality is that's how... 99% of athletes are. That's how everyone outside of Zion and Kyler Murray and RJ Barrett, that's that's almost everybody. The guy who's the eighth man coming off the bench for Duke isn't going to be making money in that scenario. The other thing I do want to say is let's not act like Zion's not getting paid. He's getting paid by Duke. That's why he attended Duke. It's no secret the report came out today from the guys at Yahoo Sports that it now looks like not only Adidas was paying athletes to attend Adidas schools, Nike was doing the same. The report came out that Zion and Williamson turned down money to play for Kansas. Zion is from a small town in Hodunk, South Carolina. There's no way that he turned down getting paid to go play at Kansas to go play for free at Duke. Zion is getting paid. The argument that he's not getting paid is dumb. These guys aren't to these high school athletes aren't totally stupid. If they weren't getting paid, they wouldn't be playing for Duke in Kansas. Now granted, I don't think it happens as often as a lot of people think. Like a school that hasn't been tied to any of the getting paid is my favorite basketball team growing up, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. I haven't seen their name in any of these reports. I don't think Gonzaga is paying players. I think that once you start hitting those high four-star players, they aren't getting offers from Duke like, hey, here's 150000 to come play at our school. I think the issue, the, the issue is just the way the NCAA structures this. I get that, I think, anyway, is their, their goal is to level the playing field out as much as possible so that you go to a you pick a school because of the coaching or you pick a school because of the education they want to maintain amateurism yeah and i don't know if you're the ncaa i don't know how you fix this um because once you change one thing you have this cascading effect on all of your policies that you have in place and honestly i think the best way to fix this is to separate sports from school. Yeah. I think I think if if people took the initiative and started up a football academy, a basketball academy, a, a league outside of that's not not attended uh not not attached to school whatsoever that we could see a shift as that gets more popular these 
big names coming out of high school choose that over going to college, and then college sports just kind of slowly dies off. And I think we're seeing a little bit of it with what the NBA has proposed with high school players coming out of high school and saying, if you don't want to go play college ball, we'll allow you to play one year in the G League and pay you. You can get your, you know, you're looked at by these NBA teams. You can be viewed. And I think that's eventually going to grow to the point that, you know, not to one-up the NCAA. Because the reality is college sports aren't going to go to it. The NCAA is way too large of an organization. They have way too much money and way too much power for it to go away altogether. But I definitely could see, for the NBA in particular, teams start drafting high school players. But the caveat is that they have to spend one year in the G League. And that's kind of where we go with that. I think the answer, if you're the the NCAA, is there are two sports that overwhelmingly have way more revenue than any other sport. Football, college basketball. Football is always an interesting one because they have the three years rule. You have to be three years out of high school. But people don't argue against that. The reality is you can't be an offensive tackle coming out of high school and go up against J.J. Watt. No. It's just not... It's not like that. I There's only two high school athletes that came out in my entire lifetime that I watched them and said, okay, that guy's probably good enough right now to play in the NFL. Adrian Peterson and Jadavion Clowney. That's it. The only two guys I've ever seen that were that talented. And maybe you can make the argument for Ed Oliver at Houston, who's about to go pro. But, you know, I've seen reports now he might not be a first-round pick. So the NFL people don't make that argument. Here's what I would say, and I think this would fix a lot of issues with parity in college basketball, too. It's not as much of an issue because they have March Madness, but if you look at the teams who have won the tournament, when's the last time a team not named Duke, North Carolina, Villanova, Kansas, uh, Kentucky won the national title? It doesn't happen, right? The Blue Bloods own college basketball. I think one of the solutions that they could have is allow these teams to play pay players be upfront about it say all right you guys you have to report any contracts that you sign you can offer either offer them a full ride scholarship or you can offer them a contract if you're going to offer them a contract it has to be yearly and it has to have a set fully guaranteed total but we're also putting a cap on it we're putting a maximum salary on it because i think what would be really bad for the ncaa is all of a sudden Zion Williamson comes out of high school and has a $10 million four-year contract where, you know, or four years, $40 million, where he's getting paid more than he would in the NBA. I think that's bad for the sport. But I mean, I you got to keep in mind, though, too, with that option, the reason I prefer taking a percentage of maybe your jersey sales and, and like, your personal brand versus a contract is the school's primary goal is to become a better educational institution. And so when you start offering these people contracts with millions of dollars, you're really taking away from that. The student body, there's a lot of people here that don't like the fact that we have a big football team. Now, granted, it pays for all the other sports, and there's a lot of money that it brings in. But, I mean, if you start pouring million dollars into these players, students are going to be upset that they're spending so much to come here and now these million dollars are going to this player instead of back into the programs. Right, and I understand that. I, th- I think that your way around that is 
you you're ma- you set a max contract so you can only have let's say two contract players every year and the most they can earn in a calendar year is two hundred thousand dollars let's say you 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 set that number whatever it may be and the reality is people don't understand if you set if you set that and your max is four hundred thousand dollars essentially of contract players that's nothing in the grand scheme of the budget for a true school. and the other thing too is a good way to separate it is the team, the the athletic department can only use money that they bring in from athletics. There's not, there can't be any student fees, let's say, going into these contracts. If they keep that separate, where the revenue that the football team is making is able to fund the contracts for the players, then I think it's then I think it's fine. And that's I think that's where the future of college sports is going to go. Is athletic departments become separate entities yes, from the universities? Yes, that's that would be the, the br- way to handle the it. The branding's I mean, going to be the same. They're going to use the same location because the reality is, in call we love tribalism as humans. We love oh, yeah. being able to surround ourselves with things, and more so than ever, when you're on campus as a college student, you can love your college football team. Those are your fellow student athletes. They're your they they are literally your peers, and you don't get that opportunity often in life. It's something that you really maximize in high school, and so we decided let's extend that into our college experience too. I think it's a great thing. I think college sports are a great thing, and it's part of what America makes America sports so much greater than the rest of the world. That being said. I think in the long term, that's where this is going to go. And I think we're going to see a lot of changes in the next 15 years. I think in college football, we're going to see probably 50 or so schools completely move away from the traditional NCAA setup. They're going to form their own new kind of D1 league. because, And that's another debate for another time. But we're going to see a lot of changes, I think, in the next 15 to 20 years in college sports. Oh, yeah. It'll be and it'll be exciting. I'm, I'm excited to see the changes. I'm excited to see players have more options yeah um at least and kind of have more uh transparency across the board with schools and just how athletics works and really see that that divide between athletics and education and yes they can co-mingle and we can have you know money from athletics go into building a better education system but just having that transparent transparency and letting everybody see the numbers and see what's happening uh it, it'll be really interesting and i think in the next it's really going to start here i think we're going to start to see the big changes of it all when we get to the bottom of this whole adidas nike paying player shoe deal once this is all resolved we understand what what it means for the future of college basketball i think that's when we're going to hit a point that things are going to get really interesting we're going to start to see where the future of the sport is going but we talked a little bit we talked to we talked a lot about that we talked a lot about college sports we're going to talk a little bit about the nba but we'll we'll save it for another time on our our next podcast we'll kind of go over the game that we had going uh let's move into a segment that we had real quick uh we're going to do this thing called conspiracy corner the premise of it is we come up with a conspiracy, we flesh it out, we see how legit it is, and then we totally buy into it and we blow it up on Twitter and make sure that everybody believes it as though it is <laughs> absolute fact. So, Tyler, here's my conspiracy corner for the day. 
a lot of talk recently has been about Anthony Davis. How pretty much since the start of the season, we knew that a move to the Lakers was coming because he signed with Mark Paul. Or Rich Paul, Rich excuse Paul. me. Mark Paul is one of the trainers for Boise State University. Rich Paul, Anthony Davis signs with Rich Paul, is part of Clutch Sports, with which LeBron James isn't technically a part owner of, but I guarantee you the second he retires, retires he becomes majority owner. Of. Yep. <laughs> so here's my conspiracy. That's not my conspiracy corner. That's just kind of fact. Here's my conspiracy corner, all right? LeBron pushed Anthony Davis to sign with Rich Paul and told Rich Paul we need to get him out of New Orleans. He didn't choose any player. He could have chose Giannis. He could have decided to team up with Kevin Durant. Could have got it Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, who's about to be a free agent. From a basketball standpoint, there were a lot of guys that LeBron could have gone after that would have made as much, if not more, sense. But he chose Anthony Davis of the New Orleans Pelicans. I believe LeBron did this because he wants Anthony Davis out of New Orleans in particular. Now, the New Orleans Pelicans, sadly, their owner, Tom Benson, recently passed uh, during this past football season. And so, Gail Benson is now the uh, official owner of the New Orleans Pelicans. There's a lot of uncertainty surrounding the Pelicans, their ownership, and their future. At the same time, LeBron James has gone on record saying that at one point he wants to own an NBA team, similar to Michael Jordan. He's made it clear he wants to own an NBA team. Here's where things get interesting. He forces Anthony Davis out of New Orleans. New Orleans has no star power. Sorry, Drew Holiday. You're a great player, but you aren't selling out, you aren't selling out that arena for Drew Holiday. New Orleans is stuck for the next four, five, six years. Let's call it six years. For the next six years, New Orleans is stuck. They can't sell tickets. And Gail Benson becomes increasingly focused on the football team as she approaches her own age. I should say Gail Benson is the majority head owner of the New Orleans Saints as well. So let's say it's six years. The number can vary. But in six years, LeBron James will be 40 years old. He'll be two years removed from his current Lakers contract. Gail Benson puts the Pelicans up for trade, and who else comes in but LeBron James to buy the Pelicans and become NBA owner. That's right. Anthony Davis is getting traded to the Los Angeles Lakers this offseason, or wherever he gets traded, but he chose the Lakers. He signed with Rich Paul to get out of New Orleans so that LeBron James, within the next decade, can purchase the New Orleans Pelicans. That's my conspiracy. I 100% buy it. Because here's the thing, NBA teams, their value is going up so much, we aren't going to see NBA teams get sold. There's been rumors that the Knicks might get sold. I don't know who's going to spend $5 billion for the Knicks. It's not going to be me. LeBron's not going to do it. I don't think that he'll ever be able to buy the Cleveland Cavaliers. Dan Gilbert just seems like he loves owning the Cavs, and he's way too petty for it. He's going to – LeBron James is going to force – Anthony Davis out of New Orleans so that they stop selling tickets, no one goes to the games, and LeBron James can become the owner of the New Orleans Pelicans. Does it stay in New Orleans? That I don't know. I don't know his long-term plans. The, the obvious move would be to move to Cleveland. That's his hometown. That's why 
uh, Michael Jordan bought the Charlotte team with his connections to UNC and North Carolina. That's what would make sense. There's already a team in Cleveland. I think a lot of it depends on the Sonics and whether the Sonics get a team. Granted, if the Pelicans get sold, they're out of New Orleans. No one wants to put up with New Orleans except the Bensons because they own the Saints. New Orleans is a football town. They love the Saints. The basketball support isn't there. Even when they have Anthony Davis, the basketball support isn't there. Without Anthony Davis, the Pelicans are going to crumble. LeBron James is going to buy them. I could see him moving them either to Seattle or to the Los Angeles to Los Angeles if the Clippers leave. There are some rumors that Steve Ballmer, who is from the Seattle area, he was one of the co-founders of Microsoft, so he has deep ties to Seattle. There's rumors that if he doesn't get his demands for the new stadium, that he'll move the team to Los Angeles or to Seattle from Los Angeles. And the other team that's had a lot of rumors of getting moved to Seattle is Memphis. If Memphis doesn't have the support, if the ownership group bails on being in Memphis, that they could end up moving to Seattle. I don't know where he goes. Uh, if if they do sell it, I think LeBron is going to figure out a way to get them out of New Orleans. I don't know where it'll be. Time will tell. But LeBron James, future owner of the New Orleans Pelicans. You heard it right here first. When it happens in eight years, come back to this podcast and show everybody I, I was right. I was on top of it. Other than that, Tyler, do you have a... A great conspiracy. I really wanted to get that one out there. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take the back seat on this week's conspiracy talk. I will be better prepared for the next time we talk conspiracy. I'll come up with something good. Yeah, yeah. That was felt fully fleshed by uh, by Nick, who is on our our inaugural episode. And I. Other than that, it was a great show. Got a lot of good stuff coming up. NBA is swinging into full gear. We've got. Six weeks left until we have six weeks of college basketball left. We are, I'm pretty sure we're three weeks away from March Madness starting, which is wild to think about right around the corner. NBA, NFL Combine starts next week, which means draft is right around the corner. It's a great time to be a sports fan. I didn't haven't even mentioned Champions League. We haven't even talked NHL or Stanley Cup. We'll have to have a guest on and come talk NHL for a little bit. Got a lot of good stuff going on. Make sure to check out our other podcasts if you haven't already. Other than that, have a good night. We'll see you next time, and have a great week. Bye-bye.